A binge-worthy show about Jesus? The Chosen Season 3 is here. Come and see what the buzz is about. The Chosen explores the imperfect and messy relationships of real humans following Jesus. The first six episodes are available now. Stream each new episode for free. Plus, watch exclusive content like The After Show, only in the new Chosen app. Download The Chosen app on mobile and TV streaming devices. Visit BingeJesus.com to learn more. Montgomery County, Maryland is where businesses go to be next. Home to a highly skilled, diverse workforce, a thriving business community, competitive incentives, and more. MoCo will help transform your business. Visit BeNext.ThinkMoCo.com to see how we can help you be next. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Tool Shed. This is episode 115 of the Fantrax Tool Shed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode in store today, and with me, as usual, is my 80-grade co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much. Uh, back at the ballpark today, which was good. Called an afternoon game, so that was a good time. Been over a week since we got a live look, but uh, we were yeah. back today, so that's fun. Ready to talk some baseball. We're talking some some redraft kind of you know, stuff today, even I guess even some uh, dynasty relevance too with some of these some of these guys we're going to talk about. So I think it's going to be a good show that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, there's always some dynasty spin every episode. Like this yep. one's usually a little more redraft than the Monday episode, but yeah, still got we always have a nice mix of everything. We always do. Yeah, it's been it's been a bit uh, after getting the four out of the six games in the series the previous week. Portland was on the road. They are back. Uh, didn't go to the game yesterday, meaning Tuesday, because I already seen Brendan Walter twice this year. And luckily today was very rainy, drizzly all day, rained pretty hard off and on. So today's game was actually postponed, which actually works out well for me because I wanted to get another look at Brayon Bayo, who was supposed to go Thursday, which would have been hard for me to get to. I would have done it, but it would have been a pain. So now he probably just goes Friday night, which is much easier. I can bring my kids. Don't have to worry about school the next day for them, get them home for bedtime. So get some more live looks at Bayo, and I'll probably get another live look at Jake Groom, who only lasted one-third of an inning last time. He was out of the game in about five minutes after uh, several hits and walks. But, yeah, it'll be good to get back to the ballpark after a week off. But, we have a really fun episode today, a lot of stuff to get to, so let's get right into it. But before we do, the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoClick. I am at EricCross04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon for extra content from both of us and our YouTube channel for plenty of live prospect video throughout the season. And, of course, check out all the other great work we have going on at Fantrax HQ with multiple fantasy baseball articles coming out every single day. All right. Let's get right into it here. So a common theme lately that we didn't plan on, but just kind of happened that way. We started out the last, I think, two episodes by asking if a certain young rising pitcher can be considered a fantasy ace. So 
we did uh was it Shane McClanahan and then who did we do last week? Manoa, right? Yep. Okay. McClanahan, then Manoa. So we'll keep that trend going today. Go to the guy that looks like WB Mason, Dylan Cease, who is off to a very good start. He had a dominant start, uh, outing the other day. Five starts total, 248 ERA, 0.93 whip, 33.9% K rate, which is up 2, 2% from last year, 8.7% walk rate, which is down uh, almost 1% from last year. Only given up one barrel, still has the huge, huge whiff rates, even though it's actually gone down a bit, but still has three offerings above a 33% whiff rate. All four of his offerings above a 27% whiff rate. So, so far, so good for Dylan Cease, but can he be considered a fantasy ace? I know he can look like it more often than not, but he always seems to have those blow-up outings and the walk rate, though it's better, so it can get him into trouble. So, Chris, would you, if he, he was your ace, both redraft and dynasty, would you feel comfortable with that? Yeah, I certainly would. He's uh, he's looked like it. He's my ace in the Highlander dynasty invitational. So him and uh, Musgrove anchoring it down. Like I don't have a true. I never drafted a true ace, but shoot, I'm more than happy with what I've gotten from from Cease so far. Like I would, I would say, especially in a twenty team league, like he's he's an ace. Yeah, I I, I think so too. And even in fifteen teamers, I, I think he settles in. I don't think he's top ten. I, I want to see more consistency from him to be top 10, but 12 to 15 range, I think is fair. Kind of in the same range as Logan Webb. Uh, I think I put Giolito in that range. Now McClanahan probably though. I, I like McClanahan a little bit more. What do you like more? Chris? Do you like McClanahan more long-term or do you like Dylan Cease? For me, I go McClanahan, but it's close. Yeah, it's pretty close. Um, I, I do believe in the strides that we've seen Cease make this year. So I'd lean him by a hair, but I think it's really close from both of them. Yeah, no, for sure. And McClanahan's my ace. I always has him now uh, in Highlander Dynasty Invitational. I also have Joe Ryan, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. And then I'm waiting on Jack Flaherty and Tyler Glasnow as well. So that is a, a staff I really like. Nice young staff. And we'll talk We'll talk Joe Ryan here in, in a few minutes. But yeah, Dylan Cease, I think I would. Yeah, I think I would be okay with him as my ace. I'd be. I would love him as my two. If I can get... You know, one one of the top guys like a Walker Bueller or you know someone like that, Julio Urias, some or someone like that early on. They come back with Cease as my two. Basically, have two aces on my squad. That would be absolutely incredible. But yeah, he's definitely you know even though the whiff rate is down a little bit, the chase rate is up almost six percent uh, from last year. Zone contact still in the seventy three percent range. So he's throwing more first pitch strikes this year, but you know, not not by much, but. You know, some definitely some improvements here. And once he gets that whiff rate back up, I think that K rate will go even higher. It's kind of awesome that the K rate's already gone up by 2%, two per, uh, percent, even though the whiff rates are down overall. So love love to see it from Mr. Dillon. See, it's a lot of red on this Savant page. Outside of the walk rate, everything else is in red. So love to see that. And now moving over to Mr. Joe Ryan, who's off to a maybe even a more spectacular start. Doesn't have quite the same K rate as Mr. Dylan Cease, but through five starts, a 163 ERA, 0.83 whip, 6.6% walk rate, and a 26.4% strikeout rate. Where are you at on Joe Ryan long-term, Chris? Because obviously Ryan, he was never the flashiest prospect, but he always produced every level. He always, I think he's one of those guys that continues to exceed expectations. So he doesn't have like that 
one pitch with like a 50% whiff rate. His slider's pushing 40% right now. It was at 35.3 last year, 39.7 this year. Four-seamer at 28.2, and then the curveball and changeup both below 20% whiff rate right now. But he limits hard contact well. He, he commands his pitches well, mixes them well. I think he could be, I don't know, his top 40 starter fair long-term. Yeah, I mean, he just gets the job done you know, differently than really any other pitcher. And you watch him, and he's not super flashy. But what you get with Joe Ryan is his really his fastball is so good because of his vertical approach angle. And I know that's kind of a foreign term for some people. But basically, the flatter your vertical approach angle is on a four-seamer, the more effective it's going to be up in the zone. And that's what he does. It's it's a super flat vertical approach angle, and he peppers the top of the zone so well with it, which really helps him out significantly because his fastball is – I mean, he doesn't have a ton of velo on it, but it plays up so much because of that that it makes him such an effective arm. And you know his fastball is, is really good because – of those things. So here's, I was looking a little bit more into it and basically um, looking at release height. Uh, so this Chris Langan tweeted this said, never conclude how fastball projects to play without first contextualizing release height. And it says pitchers with an average vertical break of 14 to 16 um, inches and a release height below five foot or 5.75 foot have historically gotten better results than their higher slot peers. And that's Joe Ryan. He fits that really well. So basically he's throwing the fastball from a lower arm slot and the approach angle is flatter and it really throws off hitter. So it performs really well up in the zone. It's basically the Walker Bueller path. Like Bueller's a very similar comp from like a fastball standpoint, like from that flat vertical approach angle. So for Ryan, it plays up extremely well and I think that he can continue the success. I don't know to what extent, but also I think that it is sustainable, like what he's doing, because he's always done it. Like people always question him as a prospect, but he just continually got the job done because of what he did, because of who he is. And I think he's going to be a really solid arm moving forward. Maybe like I'm trying to think of a good comp for him, but like he's definitely like an SP2 long term, I think, just not a flashy one. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go SP2, but definitely at least SP3 territory, especially in your 15-teamers because, you know, like you said, he, he just continues to get the job done, and that's what counts. You know, we, we've seen flashy arms just completely flail out. So, Ryan, that, like I said, a fastball, look at the heat map on the fastball. It's, yeah, right in the upper part of the zone very well. Slider could be committed a little bit better, but – Overall, like, you know, even though he won't be a, a huge K rate guy, he still has a, a whiff rate above 30% on the season at 30.4%. Uh, Chase rate above 30% as well. Zone contact rate is above league average. And a lot of that is to do with the fastball, which he has uh, 13 of his 28 strikeouts on last year. He had 17 of his 30 strikeouts on the four seamer. He's uh, decreased the usage a little bit up to slider usage. Uh, there's about 13% give or take either way with those four seamer down 13 and a half percent slider up 13 and a half percent curve and changer, but you know, about combined 18, 19% in that range. So he's going to that slider a bit more. It's doing well. 194 batting average against four seamers, 111 batting average against and 
both have a slug allowed around 250 and a Woba around 230. So those two pitches getting the job done. He uses them a little over 80% of the time. Yes, definitely like what I'm seeing so far from Ryan. He's one of those guys that's always going to be underrated. Like we talk about this with <clears throat> some of the hitters as well, guys like you know Bryson Stahl, Alec Thomas. Just because the guys aren't flashy doesn't mean they can't have you know long-term success, obviously. And these are guys that are a great targets because that price tag in Dynasty especially is always going to be a, a little bit lower than it probably should be. So, yeah, Joe Ryan, definitely a good target. I wouldn't even sell high. Unless you can get like a really good return on him right now, I I might consider that obviously, but it's not. I'm not saying like I think we both are like yeah he can you know he can maintain a high level of success. So I would hold unless you get a great offer. I would hold Joe Ryan and see where this goes. Maybe he could be one of your the horses in your in your rotation here for years to come. Moving to our next player here, let's go. We have some bullpen guys on the list today. Ryan Helsley and Michael King have been incredibly impressive so far this year. Helsley was one that had a lot of big fab bids this past week after he got that, I think it was a two-inning save uh, the other day on, I think it was, what, Friday or Saturday he yeah, had it must that. must have been Saturday. I think, yeah, I think it was Saturday with, with fab running Sunday night. That was his only save so far this year, and, and Giovanni Gallegos has been eh, kind of shaky overall this season, but Helsey is not. So we'll start there with him. Get to Michael King here in a second. In eight and a third innings over seven appearances for Helsey, he's allowed, get this, I think it was just one, yeah, just one hit overall. No runs, no walks, and 16 strikeouts for a, a nice little 0.12 whip. He's, what's he averaging the fastball? Is it over 100? No, 99-1, close to 100. 99-1 on the fastball. He's yet to allow anything off that fastball. Seven of his 16 strikeouts on that. Also has a little slider cutter hybrid at 88.3, which is a very good pitch as well. 54.8% whiff rate, 40% on that four-seamer. So obviously, you know, with for dynasty purposes, we don't usually target these relievers too often, or at least not heavily, but more so for redraft, Chris. Do you think there's some appeal to Helsey this year, or do you think, do you think it's still Gallegos in that role? No, I mean, Gallegos got the save the next day after everybody went crazy with the fab. So I I don't think this is the case. I think this is a case where Gallegos didn't pitch for a week, and I'm not exactly sure why. There may have been a reason out there, but if so, I don't know. But this is a case where he was in. He was hot after an inning. They left him in for a second, and he got the save, and everybody went bonkers about it. But I just really don't believe that it's going to stick. Like, Gallegos has five saves this year. I I think that continues. Helsley probably sneaks in a couple, but I don't think personally he's he's worth all the fab that everybody went crazy for. Yeah, no, 100% agree. I was, I was shocked to see him go for that much fab. Like, obviously, people go crazy in fab over relievers because usually two-thirds of your league is hurting for saves. That's how it is every year, but – see him go for that much after one two out save like there's nothing against Helsey. Helsey has been absolutely dominant and the success is there it shows in the numbers but for this year if you're in a saves holds league sure okay i get it but i just added him in a saves hold league that i'm in but i just if you're just strictly just saves you know your standard five by five i don't see it you know if you need if you're in a deeper league and you need some help with you know ratios and, and k's sure but you're looking for saves. I don't see it this year, but do, do you think he could be? Do you think he's ever in that 
closer role. I know it's kind of always hard to predict the future, especially with, with bullpens and how they, they seem to go these days. But do you think there's a chance that he does get a clo- closer role at some point, whether it's in St. Louis or elsewhere, and can develop into that top flight relief pitcher for fantasy purposes? He's got the stuff for it. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, who knows? I mean, stuff t- changes so dramatically. And that's the hard thing, like, in dynasty leagues about paying up for a closer like you know it it's a significant challenge to figure out like who's worth it who's long-term sustainability i don't know i mean personally like i know gallegos hasn't been great but his era has been so ballooned by that one that nolan arenado throw that was an error and he ended up getting four earned runs tacked on because that one it should have been all you know unearned runs so I, I don't know. I'm I'm still believing that Gaigos is the guy. Gaigos is around as St. Louis as long as Helsley's got one more year past Gaigos as far as team control. But it just evolves, and the closer carousel changes so quickly. But I think he's certainly got the stuff to be a closer. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. How about Michael King, though? Who would you rather have long-term in Dynasty League, Michael King or Ryan Helsley? Gosh, I don't know. I, I hate relievers for dynasty. Like, you, I know you have to have them, but how, how about how about this year then? Let's go this year. Yeah. For me personally, I'd go Michael King just because. Well, first off, in most leagues, he'll have that nice little starting pitcher and relief pitcher eligibility, which is always nice for flexibility. Uh, especially like if you're over on Yahoo leagues that you know, like usually fan tracks and and NFBC users have nine pitcher slots, so you can change them obviously. But King pitches more innings. Sim- simply as that, you know, he's. 8.1 innings for Helsey King. I think it's double that. I think he's around 16 or 17. Yeah, 16.2, exactly double that. And al- almost as good, 0.54 ERA, 0.78 whip, 40.7% K rate, high whiff rate on all of his pitches, 31% or higher with three above 40%. I'd rather go Michael King for this year just because he's given you, and I have him a couple redraft teams where it's like, all right, like two innings here, two innings there. And end of the year, I think he's on pace for like 100 and. 1520 innings something like that if you can get 100 and you know 60 k's out of that great ratios he'll probably vulture eight nine wins he already has two this year and that's hard to predict but he's in that role where he'll he will probably get at least a handful more wins sneak some saves in there as well maybe like eight wins five saves something like that with good ratios and a lot of strikeouts he could be like a top 40 pitcher this year if he does all that yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think that that's really the factor. It's like the Spencer Strider thing where Strider's really valuable because he comes in these three-inning stints, and while Strider may get a spot in the rotation soon, I don't know, the Braves' fifth spot's been brutal. But if you get multiple three-inning stints a week in elite ratios and strikeouts, like you're looking at like one start from an ace. Like if you get six innings and you get like eight to ten strikeouts, then – you're doing something big, and that's the nice thing. I mean, I know King's only thrown three innings once, but he's had multiple two-plus inning outings, and they've all been really good. So I think that definitely factors in. And, like, when you combine these multi-inning outings, it's like having, like I said, one good starter and even, like, an ace at that. So while you won't build the the innings of a starter long-term, I do think that King is definitely worth the add. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, 110, 120 innings is, you know, kind of the equivalent of what – 150 used to be about five, six years ago with how pitchers go these days. But yeah, I definitely can't. I hate how good that Yankees bullpen is. Even, even Chapman, who's, you know, velocity's down, the walk rates up, which we kind of all thought was going to happen anyway. 
he's he hasn't given up a run yet, and he's got five or six saves. So the Yankees bullpen has been pretty damn good, and Michael King might be the best one in that pen right now. Let's get away from relievers here. Well, kind of this <laughs> this next guy on the list started the year as a reliever, kind of in that same role as Michael King, you know, multi-inning weapon out of the pen, but he's moved into the rotation over the last, uh, he's now made three starts. He made a start today. Part of that was because Tanner Howe could not go up to Toronto, but it looks like Garrett Whitlock might stay in the rotation now. So, so after his third start today, he's not up to 17 and two thirds innings, 0-5-1 ERA, 0-7-4 whip. He looked really good today at a 45% whiff rate and a 30, no, 47% whiff rate, 35% CSW, excuse me. And that was with the slider not getting a single whiff, which coming into the start, it had a 62.5% whiff rate. He was getting whiffs on the changeup, the four seamer, and the sinker, which is great to see. That slider's always been pretty good, so I'm not worried about that, just one outing. But struck out nine over five. Whitlock needs to be in this rotation. And if he does, and if he uh, excuse me, if he is rest of the season, we could be looking at a top 25 starter. I think he's got that much potential. I, I watch him every day. He's got top 20. I want to go much higher than that. But if he's in rotation, top 25 arm, go out and get him. He's not available in any league. But if you can trade for him, maybe you know trade a Jose Barrios and get Whitlock in another piece, something, something like that, I would definitely look to do that because Whitlock is for real. I think so. I my biggest concern this year is the the innings. Like, how much do you get out of them? Right. But the innings that you do get are going to be so good that, you know, I'm not sure it matters. Definitely encouraging five innings today through 78 pitches. So, yeah, you know, if he gets, if you get five innings out of him every start, then I think you'll be happy with the results. It's certainly interesting and encouraging at the same time to see him really build this up. So he's, he's coming on strong. This start was definitely a big one for him against a good lineup at that. I mean, you know, you look, everybody kind of laughs at the angels, but this is a lineup that had Marsh, Trout, Otani, Anthony Rendon, like Jared Walsh. Like this is a good lineup. So he was absolutely dominant. Even two earned runs, like not a big deal at all. Still a great start from, from Garrett Whitlock. Absolutely. And even like, you know, at this point, you could probably get, you know, 23, 24, 25 more starts in, by the end of the year, if he averages about five innings per start, that's another right around 120 innings. So he, I can see him getting up in that 135, 140 innings pitch range when, with good ratios and a good strikeout rate, which he's at right now. Where's his key rate at right now? Uh, 31.3%. So, yeah, that would be maybe top 20 starter this year. We saw, you know, Freddy Peralta flourish as a near top 10 arm last year with not many more innings. I think he had like 145 or so innings. So, yeah. Love Whitlock. He is for real. And just a big thank you to the Yankees for gifting him to us in that Rule 5 draft and not protecting him a couple years back. That was awesome. appreciate you guys. All right. Speaking of – actually, not, not the Angels. We're going over to uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. Terrible segue there by me. Alec Bohm, the one hitter we have in this news and notes segment. He – another guy. That's just, He's not flashy at all, but he has really turned the corner lat- this year. Excuse me after a pretty underwhelming showing last year. And so in 115 games last year, 247, 305, 342 slash line, only seven home runs in those 115 games. 
after a pretty impressive rookie season, which had his stock firmly on the rise. And then after this year was trending down pretty hard, started the season off kind of slow, but overall now he's heated up lately. 317, 375, 467 slash only two home runs and 72 plate appearances, but out of the steal, he's, he has six steals over his first 669 plate appearances, which is very surprising. I don't think he'd get any speed out of him, but it's not really the surface stats that are the, impressive metrics even though those are pretty solid everything has improved and i put this tweet out there the other day like all the contact rates the you know the k rate the walk rate the quality of contact they've all gone up he's at 9.6 percent barrel rate 53.8 hard hit rate a 93.5 average exit below 110.8 max exit below k rates down 11 percent walk rate up two and a half percent are we buying back in on Mr. Alec Bohm here, Chris. I think I am. I had this conversation the other day with a few different people. It actually turned into a pretty big thread after yeah. Mr. Michael Simeone tagged our other buddy, Mike Curlin, and then it just ballooned from there. But I think I'm buying back in. You know, I was never fully out, but, and again, he's not the flashiest. It's not huge upside. It's not like top 50 fantasy upside, but, you know, 270, 20 to 25 home runs, solid counting stats, maybe chips in a few steals. That'll play as like a, a you know, starting quarter infielder long term. So I'm buying back in right now. How about you? Yeah, I mean he's done all the right things this year. He you know he always hit the ball hard. He hit the ball hard last year in his struggles, but he's hit the ball on the ground far too much. But and this year we've seen the sweet spot percentage go up from 33.3 percent to 48 percent, which means that ideal launch angle between eight and 32 degrees. His average launch angle is 8.3 degrees, but the sweet spot percentage is more telling in my opinion. At 48%, that's very encouraging to see. Bohm is stroking the ball right now. I don't see a reason it's going to decline. He's also moved up in the lineup, which has been huge, and I think he's more than capable of sticking and doing what he's what we've seen this year. Obviously, probably not to this extent, but it's still been pretty impressive. And, yeah, I'm, I'm back in on him, which is crazy. It's like a roller coaster ride, but hopefully this, this sticks. Right. Is it if he can make these improvements stick long term, just another big bat in that lineup. You know, he's not gonna hit higher than sixth or seventh for the most part this season with all the other bats they have, but could have a, a good amount of RBI. I think he's already got what's he up to? Is it fourteen? I think I said fourteen RBI. Yeah, fourteen RBI so far, twelve runs scored. So he could really get to, you know, twenty, eighty, and seventy, seventy five runs this season. Uh, he's still a career 278 hitter. Like last season, kind of, I said the stock was dropped because of last season, which it, as it should have been, but still a 278 career hitter. Just want to see that power go up. He's still getting too many ground balls, but still, like the ingredients are there. All the quality of contact, like we mentioned, it's definitely a good time to buy back in on Alec Bohm. I think he's going to stick in the top. He, he hit second last night and he led off tonight. If he keeps hitting, did he, re- did he lead yeah. off tonight? I, I saw he hit second yesterday. I didn't see that he led off yeah. today. I think he'll stick up there if this continues. That would be awesome. Yeah. That would be a huge boost for his value. Going from Which, seventh pretty consistently up to one or two. Like, yeah, that's a no, huge boost. That'd be great. I, I totally, I totally missed the, the leadoff today, but yeah, that would be huge, especially with all those bats behind him. If he can get on base, even at like, you know, 350 or so, he'll score a ton of runs in that Philadelphia lineup. And that's a good, good ballpark as well. Like I said, not flashy, not a stud, not a guy to draft like, second, third, fourth round, but maybe a guy that's like an annual sixth, seventh, eighth round type of guy back in top 100. I think he's definitely got that type of upside. 
couple of prospect promotions this week. We talked about MJ Melendez last week. We had two more over the last handful of days. We had uh, Miranda getting called up to Minnesota and Juan Yepes called up to St. Louis. Both hit you know, Miranda's season has kind of been so so not great down in AAA, but Mar- uh, excuse me, Yepes has been absolutely crushing the ball, especially in the power department. He's up to nine home runs this year. 279, 323, 651 in nine, uh, 93 plate appearances. I mean, Miranda, again, was not great, but 242, 279, 421, two home runs in 104 plate appearances, but 11 doubles as well, and still had that pretty solid approach, only a 13.5% strikeout rate. And I still believe her what we saw last year. Is he going to be, you know, a 340 hitter every year? No. But above average hit, above average power. Yepes probably a bit more power, slightly less average. So long term, actually, they could be pretty similar. I still like Miranda more, obviously, and he's the one I would target here. I think there's a better chance, you know, a clear path to playing time every day for him. He can play first, second, and third, which helps. Yepes, I can see getting three, four starts a week between DH and and like right field with Carlson platooning now, but. Yeah, definitely. So for me, long term, it's in short term. I give the slight edge to Miranda. But uh, what do you think, Chris? Yeah, I just think there's a clear path to playing time for Miranda, especially with Sano out. So that edge is there if he takes it and runs with it. You know, Yepes looked good today at two hits, but why in the world did they pinch hit for him in the seventh inning? He's two for three on the day. You're up seven nothing. Like. Just let him get another at bat. Like he's in a rhythm. That really is frustrating. But no, oh, whatever. Like they didn't ask me. But <laughs> I do think just the playing time situation is better for Miranda right now. And who knows? I mean, maybe maybe Yepes can sneak in the lineup more often than I think, at least. But um, for right now, I think that Miranda's skill set is at least more conducive for batting average. And I, I will give the edge to Yepes for power for sure. But I think the playing time path is there for for Miranda. Yeah, like long term, I see Yepes as like a two, yeah, two sixty ish, twenty, you know, twenty five to thirty home runs. Miranda two seventy two eighty, you know, maybe a little bit less than that, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five home runs. But that'll come with. I don't know where he ends up long term. My guess would be third, but I don't know. It could be first. It could be second. Probably gets. Dual eligibility, you know, some combination of those three, which so he could be like a, a Ryan McMahon, uh, Luis Urias type one guy that's two eligibility in the infield, solid but not great hitter, but again, solid average, solid power, maybe a little bit of speed as well, handful of steals, three, four, five, something like that. So a guy that's you know top one fifty ish draft pick every year, but um, Yepes not, not too far off, but he's. So less average doesn't provide, you know, quite as much flexibility. He's going to be either first baseman or a corner outfielder long term. So Randall have added value with the eligibility he has. If that was like second and third, that'd be awesome because you can add in corner and field, middle and field, etc. So yeah, definitely lean Miranda both short term and long term. If you got to go out and get one of them, I'd go out and get Miranda. Okay, it looks like he's a better chance for him to stick long term. So go ahead and take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side and, and talk a lot of struggling players. It's a early season theme. Talk breakouts, talk struggling players. we got a lot more to talk about in that regard today. So do not go anywhere. We will be right back.
Want to create a breakthrough gene therapy? Pioneer aerospace excellence? Start a global hospitality brand? Be next to do it in Montgomery County, Maryland. Visit benext.thinkmoco.com to see how our top talent, diversity, and location will help you be the next company to change the world. All right, welcome back. Let's get into some struggling players now. We have how many players? We have 11 players total, five pitchers, and six hitters. Let's start with the pitchers here, and we'll start down with uh, your Atlanta Braves, Chris. Mr. Charlie Morton, after very good season last year where he finished with a 334 ERA and 33 starts, 185 and two-thirds innings, 216 strikeouts. Was being drafted as a SP2, a top 25 arm this year, but just has not been there through his first five starts. 685 ERA, 173 whip, and well under a strikeout per inning. Carry is down to 15.8%, walk rate up to 12.3%. And, you know, Chris, I'll, I'll kick it over to you here because you're the Atlanta Braves fan here, but you know, I, I think it has something to do with the curveball. The curveball has not looked as good. Is that what kind of you're thinking right now? Yeah, it's weird. He he looked so good opening weekend when I was there. He pitched and he looked like his normal self, and so it went downhill really quick after that. And I, I don't know. It's hard to really pinpoint like what exactly is going wrong. There's a lot going wrong, but it's just he's allowing more contact. He's not striking people out. He's not missing bats. He's missing his spots. I mean, swinging strike rates at seven point three percent. It was 12.3 last year, 12.1 in 2020, 12.9 in 2019. Like, just not who he is. He's also a little older. I mean, he's 38 years old, so you have to wonder, like, when does Father Time actually catch up with you? And it's possible that it could be this year. Uh, But it's certainly concerning to look and see just the decline. You're right. The curveball has just not been as effective this year as it was in the past, and that could be hurting him a little bit. He's still effectively utilizing the four-seam and curve the most, as he did last year. You know, Both used at a very similar rate. He's lowered his sinker usage a decent bit, and you know, he's mixing in the cutter and change up a little bit. But, yeah, everything in the profile just is a little bit concerning. He does have you know a decently high BABIP. Compared to last year, strand rate is pretty low, but even with a little bit of regression, you know, you're still talking about six eight five ERA, you know, Sierra five one four and a FIP of five three six. It's still early. I'm curious what we see. I think that we're looking at a pretty pivotal start or two coming up next. Like we really need to see something out of them. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I was trying to like pinpoint why the curveball has just been so much less effective this year. Like so look at, at last year, yeah, the curveball, he used it 36.7% of the time, 127 batting average against, 187 slug, 40.1% whiff rate. This year, 38.7%, so up 2% usage rate, but a 300 batting average against, 500 slug, 370 wobba, and only a 29.9% whiff rate. And even so the three, three pitches that he uses the most, four-seamer, curveball sinker which account for about 87 or so percent of his pitches all have a batting average against above 300 and a slugging allowed over 500 and looking further into the curveball like i said i really dug into this we got the the break is about the same like the velocity is up 0.4 miles per hour 80.6 to 81 the vertical movement is basically the same as last year 
little less horizontal movement, but Inchon has less of break this year, which, you know, sounds lit, like negligible, but it's, you know, it's not huge, but that that is a difference there. But to go from it being, I don't think that's the sole reason why, you know, Inchon have less of horizontal movements, the reason why he's gone from having one of the best curveballs in baseball to one that's getting hit 300, you know, at 300 batting average against. So, I don't know, the command plays a factor. I think it's a, a bunch of, you know, little things factoring in here. Command hasn't been the greatest. Four-seamer's been left over to the heart of the plate too much. You know, curveball, same thing, kind of left up a bit too much. So, you got to think he gets that curveball back, right? Like, that's always been his go-to, his bread and butter. Just to see him fall off a cliff like that with the with the curveball would be kind of odd. So, I'm still buying Maybe not expecting what we expected before the season, like top 25 arm, but top 40, still top 50 for sure. But I think he's going to be a good number three. Would you be looking to buy in Dynasty right now, especially if you're contending? Yeah, I think you can get him dirt cheap in Dynasty based on the age. And, you know, especially after the start, now you can look and probably get him for virtually nothing. So, yeah, I think it's a decent time to go out and get him, honestly. Agreed. All right, moving over to the completely opposite part of the country, up to the Pacific Northwest, Mr. Robbie Ray. He hasn't been terrible. You know, 415 ERA is okay. It's not great, but you're coming off a year where Ray, excuse me, had one of the best years of his career, huge bounce back with Toronto, 32 starts, 284 ERA, 1.04 whip, and 248 strikeouts in 193 and a third innings. But this year, the walk rate has kind of ticked back up 3% up to 9.6. K rate has absolutely plummeted to the worst rate we've ever seen from him. A lot of blue on that Savant page, Chris. So are you willing to – it's the same question here. Are you willing to buy Ray right now in redraft or Dynasty, or are you concerned with this start? I mean, I just think this is really who he is. He had a great year last year. It's not – he's going to strike more hitters out. I mean – the, the strikeout rate at 20.8% is a little you know, catchy off guard from a Robbie Ray type pitcher, but the walk rate's back up and it's still down. You know, 9.6% is good, but it's up from 6.7% last year, which you know was interesting after he walked 17.9% of hitters in 2020. So he's always been a, a really a north of 10% walk rate type guy. I, th- I think Ray's going to hover around a four ERA. Honestly, you know he may he may end up three eight three nine. Strikeouts are going to come, but this is really just who he is, in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of weird that the striker has plummeted so bad, though. Even even bad Robbie Ray was still striking out a ton of guys. Right. Like that was he's always had that K rate to fall back on, but this year the whiff rate is down about six percent. The chase rate's down about seven and a half percent. He's he's only gotten whiffs on the fastball and slider, which are his predominant two pitches. He's all he's basically almost ditched everything else this year. And last year he was about 90% four seam slider. Now he's about 90, was at 96.5%, only throwing the curveball 12 times and the changeup four times for a combined 3.6% usage. And you know, those he hasn't gotten a whiff yet on those. Sliders down from a 45.5 to a 35.5 whiff rate, so down 10%. But four seamers down about 3%. Says so I do think that. He will get back up in the key rate department, but yeah, if you bought into what he showed last year, I'm sorry because that was an illusion. You know, hindsight's 2020. I know, but 
there was a lot of red flags where I'm like, all right, I, I don't believe he sticks at this. And we said, basically said this, you know, in preseason and offseason episodes where, all right, maybe he's made some adjustments. He'll be better than what he was, but definitely not 2021 good. So if you can still cash out for, you know, near peak value from what he did last year, I probably would. Because I think you're going to see, yeah, closer to a four ERA, Robbie Ray, which his career ERA is four on the dot. Uh, but yeah. I'd be looking to still sell right now, but let him build up his, you know, maybe get a good few starts under his belt. Let him build up that trade value again a little bit. And then I'd probably look to deal him for sure. All right. Moving on to the next name on the list. This guy was a man. He was almost a savior to a lot of fantasy teams last year down the stretch where he was, I think like a top 10, top 15 arm in baseball for the last two, three months of the season. But this year, not so much. And that is Mr. Ranger Suarez of the Philadelphia Phillies. So far this year, through five starts, 463 ERA, 163 whip. And he's just not striking out anybody at all. Last year, he had the 25.6% K rate. This year, 14%. It's still early, obviously. But I wonder how much of last year was even legit. Like He's a guy that... I wasn't buying into that. I kind of like bought in a little bit. I started looking at some of the metrics. I'm like, all right, maybe he can be like a top 50, top 60 type of arm. But now he's fallen. So he's barely inside my top 100 overall in my starting pitcher rankings. I don't know. He just doesn't miss many bats. And if he's not getting the low ratios, I don't really see a reason to, you know, roster you know he's still rosterable for now but in redraft leagues he might be a cut pretty soon that sinker is being left over the heart of the plate way too often i don't know i don't see a lot of appeal here but i don't know do you do you see anything here that is promising to you that he could turn this around no i mean the interesting thing was like it'd be easy to call out and say well the strikeout rate's lower and his strikeout rate last year was due to him being a reliever for some of the time but he's his splits last year were pretty good as a starter and reliever he had a I mean, a 26.6% K rate as a reliever, but 25% as a starter. His walk rate actually went down as a starter. There was just a lot of good luck, I think. He had a super high strand rate last year, which obviously was going to see some regression. No questions asked about that. But even still, like you look past the, the 136 ERA, and he still had a 351 Sierra and a 272 FIP over 106 innings, which is pretty dang good. Yeah. But, I don't know. The strikeouts just being gone is an interesting development for sure. I, I don't really I'm, – I'm kind of at a loss as to what's happened. I, I'm like you. I didn't draft him anywhere. Like I, He was pretty much in a void for me. And it was interesting also, like, you know, early draft season, his price was like near a top 100 guy, and it slowly kind of plummeted throughout draft season. But I'll be just curious to watch and see, like, you know – what happens the rest of the way? I mean, he is throwing the sinker a little more, and obviously sinker is you know, more of a pitch-to-contact type pitch, but he just has a 12% whiff rate on it. He's not getting whiffs on the changeup either like he was last year. That's down you know, 8.5%. His slider in particular, he doesn't throw it that often, but it's not missing bats either. So a lot of red flags here. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of – a range we're talking like dropping his whip is killer right now one six three the four three four six three era through five starts is eh, it's okay but it's not really doing much for you right now i think in a 12 team league you could find another option on the wire but yeah. i don't really like the popular thing 
do. I think you 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 just see where he goes over the next couple starts and then kind of make that call. Yeah, I just don't see any. I'm I'm trying to find some sort of silver lining here. No, the whiff rates way down, below average chase rates. Zone context, 86.5%. Chase context, 70.9%. Both are well above league average marks. <laughs> Which pitch was it? The, the four-seamer, which he only uses 13.6% of the time. But he's a lot of 600 batting average against, 900 slug, 668 wool, but it's just ridiculous. So, yeah, maybe he can cling to back-end top 100 value and you know maybe be the, one of the back guys on your rotation. But, uh, I don't know. Yeah, you can definitely do better. Who would you rather have the rest of the season, him or Kyle Hendricks? Hendricks has been uh, awful. So, yeah, uh, probably. Or, is the answer is the answer neither? <laughs> yeah, not yeah. Just <laughs> don't take either of them. Take drop them and run. Right. Yeah. No, for sure. All right. Next name on the list is a guy that I was buying into a fair amount and really was hoping he was one of the guys that was going to get dealt out of Cincinnati this year. That did not happen, and this year he is not not been good. To understatement. Tyler Molly right now has a seven point zero one ERA through six starts and a one seventy one WHIP, right around a caper inning. But overall, the K rate is down six percent, walk rate up a little over three percent, and this is not even a home road thing anymore. He actually has a better ERA at home, and his ERA at home this year is I think right around the same range as it was last year. It's a tick under six at home but his era in the road has gone from below two to above eight now so i don't know is it's hard to value tyler molly because you've seen the potential like how dominant he was out of cincinnati last year and i and i don't believe that was entirely a fluke but this year he has not looked good so is he a guy that you're pretty worried about or a good buy low in your opinion well it's confusing because he has a 319 fit 3.19. Yeah, he's been, he's been a bit unlucky. Compared to a 7.01 ERA, and his XERA is pretty good as well at, at 3.7. I'm I'm intrigued. I'm not sure where the strikeouts have gone. I'm not sure how his FIP is so sparingly different than the ERA, but is that just going to be the case all year because he's got a crappy defense behind him? Like That's a, a real possibility here that the defense just – isn't good in Cincinnati and he's just getting shafted because of that. That definitely could be, but Hey, at least they don't have a Eugenio Suarez playing shorts up every single right. day. Now that's, I guess I'm not, it's better than it Kyle, was. Kyle yeah. Farmer made an awful play yesterday. I was watching. It was- yeah. It's, it's not like Kyle Farmer, some goal club defender either. So yeah, that defense as a whole is still pretty bad. It's not a great ballpark to pitch half your games and either. So I don't know. I, I think I'm still, leaning towards the buy low side on him but i think we gotta temper expectations a little bit because he's now six seasons into his career he's been an even hundred stars 515 innings pitch he's got a 447 era and a 136 whip so i think he could be like a solid like top 60 top 70 arm but a lot of rankings preseason myself included had him you know, low to mid-30s as like a high-end SP3 for 15-teamers or low-end SP3 for 12-teamers. I just don't think he's the type of guy. Maybe if he gets out of Cincinnati, maybe he can get back to that level or at least close to it. But, yeah, I think we just have to adjust our expectations with Tyler Molly. But I think he still is a you know a decent buy low right now. I'll be running out there to get him, but 
yeah, maybe it's worth kicking the tires. Let's say that. All right, that's it for pitchers. Over to the hitting set of thing. Let's go over to out to the West Coast here with Mr. Max Muncy, who's a guy that I'm definitely buying low on. So far, look at the surface stats, 87 plate appearances, 130, 310, 261 slash line, two home runs in those 87 plate appearances, but barrel rate is still very good. Hard hit rate down a little bit, but still good. The approach is great. So this is definitely a buy low for me. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I mean, he's hitting the ball hard still. The elbow seems to be fine. I, don't, I think he's a great pilot. I mean, everything in the profile still looks good to me. I think there's definitely just been some bad luck here. And we're going to see this, you know, I, I come back pretty strong. I mean, obviously in an OVP league, like Muncy's been a strong play, despite everything else. He's still getting on base to high clip. That batting average is going to come up. He has a 310 OVP despite a 130 batting average. No doubt in my mind we see this tick up pretty significantly. He has a 140 BABIP right now. If you remember this time last year, like Freddie Freeman was going through the same thing and his BABIP was just crazy low, and Freeman still ended up hitting 300. Muncy's not going to hit 300 because he's not a 300 hitter. He's going to hit near 250. He's going to provide 30 home runs. In my opinion, he's easy by low. The zone contact is a career best right now by far. Not even close. I mean, 91.5% zone contact rate. His next best over a full season would be 86% last year, which was up from you know the previous year. So he's been steadily improving there. I think we see he'll be all right. I'm not I'm not concerned about Muncie. Yeah, and looking at his plate discipline metrics in general, just steadily improving every single year. Whiff rate continues to go down. Same with the trace rate, zone, all the contact rates kind of sneak up every year. So yeah, definitely buying low on Max Muncy. No doubt about that. He's going to get better. Loaded lineup. He's going to be a big part of that. So, and look at him. He's a very consistent guy over the years as well. You look at the last uh, three full seasons he's had, 2018, 2019, and 2021, 35, 35, 36 home runs, OBP, 391, 374, 368. So, obviously, better OBP guy than average. So, yeah, 100% looking to buy low on Muncy, but maybe not this next guy. Joey Votto has been terrible. He's walking a lot, but that's about it. Chris, I'll toss it over to you. Do you see any reason to buy low on Votto? Because I really don't. Uh, I'm afraid that he may be done. It doesn't help. This team is just awful. So, like, you know, you obviously want to go out on a positive note, but gosh, this the Reds team is so bad right now. Like, what's his incentive? Like, other than he's trying to wrap up a potential Hall of Fame type career. And you're right, he's been pretty bad. I mean, it's his slug of 135 is just barely ahead of his 122 batting average. It's, it's been pretty atrocious across the board. You know, we did see, even though Votto had a really strong year last year statistically, we saw a decline in his plate discipline skills. He chased significantly more last year. His contact rates dropped pretty significantly, and we're seeing another drop this year, which you know could signify that the the end is end is near for Joey Votto. Yeah, no, yeah, those metrics turning the wrong way. Chase rates gone up now two straight years. Same with the whiff rate, which is up to a career high thirty two percent. Yeah, K rate keeps going up, walk rates going down. Obviously, it's still thirteen point three percent walk rate, which is still good, but the K rates up to thirty two point two percent, which is 
easily a career high by almost 10%. Last year, he was 23.8, which was his career high uh, until this year. Obviously, it's still early, but yeah, one double. That's it for extra base hits. One double, no home runs, nothing else. Three RB high, four runs, and 90 play appearances. So he's a drop in redraft leagues. Especially you, you can get some better you know, corner infield options out there. Some guys are, are pretty hot, like a Rowdy Telez or – Jesus Aguilar, you know, there's plenty of guys out there that I'd rather have right now than Joey Votto and Dynasty. Just nothing left there. Like, if you were a contender and he was doing well, he'd be a good trade option, but he's not doing well. He's 38. Yeah, I think it's a uh, the end of the road for Mr. Joey Votto, unfortunately. But you know, we've said this before, and he came back. I don't know. I won't put it past him to I... say, you know, screw you all. Here, I'm going to go on a tear here in the next five months. Probably not, but. We'll see. Next hitter on the list here. We who we got? Let's go over. Let's go over to my boss and Red Sox. Unfortunately, our six-year hundred and what do we, what we say? One hundred and fifty-something million-dollar player not living up to expectations so far. Trevor Story is obviously who I'm talking about. Who so far has given us zero home runs, one steal, six RBI. Eight runs scored and a 205, 298, 274 slug and a lot of blue on that Savant page. He has a good max exit velo, which is whatever. It's not it's not a good indicator to use anyway. Hard hit rate is down. K rates up. I don't know. I'm hoping it's just him settling into the, you know, dealing with the pressure of a big contract and dealing with Boston. Obviously, going from Colorado to Boston in terms of just the pressure, the media, Boston media can be, I'll put it nicely. Can be, they can be feisty. They can be ferocious. Not an easy place to play. Nobody gives a crap out in Colorado. They give a crap here in Boston. They've chewed up much better players uh, than Trevor story for not performing well. So I'm still, I'm kind of counting it to that and hoping that he can get it going here once he gets settled in a little bit more, but it has not been a good start, Chris. No, uh, but he he's picking it up. He had two doubles tonight, three RBI. Yeah. You look at his you know trend of batted balls, and he's certainly trending upwards when you look at the amount of balls he's hit over 100 miles an hour recently. Like over the last week, that number has jumped pretty significantly. You look, and over the it, – it took him eight days to have his first batted ball event over 100 miles an hour. And so since then, we're seeing a huge uptick – and over the last week specifically, he's been hitting the ball much harder, which has been good to see. The results haven't quite been there. But even tonight, you look, and it, the dead ball is just some, something that's affecting him. I mean, he hit a ball, you know, 102 miles an hour tonight at a 32-degree launch angle. It traveled 387 feet. Like, he got a double out of it. But you think last year, that's probably a home run. And probably. A, someone with, like, Story's power, I think, is getting affected by this. We're seeing this with a lot of people, but he is hitting the ball harder, and that's what you need to know. I think he's kind of coming into his own. There's a lot of pressure, as you mentioned. Players often struggle in the first year of big contracts as well. Also, an adjustment moving from Colorado. That's a that's a factor too. Is like the way pitches move in Colorado is significantly different than everywhere else. So when you've played there as long as you have, really understanding. And seeing pitches differently is probably an adjustment. I mean, not to, not making excuses for for story, but I do think that he's he's really coming into his own here. You know, what do we expect long term? 
I don't know. I mean, I think he's probably a 260, 270 hitter, but I do think there's still 20 home run pop and, and 20 stolen bases in that bat. No, I totally agree. It's, it's just a lot of adjustment versus for the the new market, the contract, like I said, the the way pitches move differently outside of Colorado compared to inside Colorado. It's just a lot of adjustment. And that's hard for any player to make, no matter how good you are. So, yeah, I would definitely buy low on Trevor Story. I think he still go 2020 this year. I still think there's a chance he does that. Though he's going to pick it up sometime here. And like you said, he's had a couple doubles today. Hopefully that is, that is the start of something more. Moving over to a guy that did go 2020 last year, but is off to a atrocious start this year. A guy I'm regretting drafting in the Highlander Dynasty Invitational. And that is Mr. Randy Arozarena, 20, what year was that? 2020 postseason hero for the Tampa Bay Rays off to a 213 253 330 start still waiting for that first home run nice zero home runs does have four steals though which is nice so is that really good sprint speed and the, the max exit below is there hard hit rate and average exit below are okay solid but only one barrel so far I, I don't know is that 2020 guy still a viable outcome for him moving forward year after year, or is it possible, Chris, that we've already seen the peak Randy at Rosary and dynasty value? Possibly. I mean, you know, when you hit the ball on the ground, 64.1% of the time, it just ain't happening. So, you know, Rosarena always has struggled with contact, you know, overall contact rates. And that's actually up this year in a small sample, despite him chasing a little bit more on pitches out of the zone. Really, I think the biggest hindrance in his profile has just been hitting the ball on the ground too much. He's never been a stat cast darling, never really hit the ball that hard. He's always been a product of, of high BABIPs. And this year, you can't blame his BABIP. His BABIP's right at league average uh, at 297. So there's there's no real excuses there. He's not walking. He can He's showing who he is from a strikeout rate standpoint over the last three years at least at the major league level, is 28.9%, 28.1%, 28.4% this year. So he seems to hover right around this mark. But you're right. I'm a little bit afraid that his dynasty value has peaked. Yeah, the hard hit rate is still the same as it has been, but just hitting more balls on the ground, not walking as much as you mentioned. Like I said, one barrel. I think he could still be like 15 home runs, 20 steals, but I don't think the average is going to be more than – 250 260 or so so that's still decent but it was at one point where we were talking about him as a top 50 dynasty guy and yeah i do not think that is ever coming back so would i buy low on him right now yeah i don't know i guess if the price was like pretty low i'd consider it i think obviously he's better than this but i don't know i'm not rushing out there to go out and get him in redraft or dynasty but if you're listening and you you are in the Highlander Dynasty Invitational, he's great. Take him from me for a good – give me something good for him. I'm kidding. Um, no, I'm not. But, all right, then two more outfielders on the list here. This next guy is someone I am 110% buying low on. That's Tyler O'Neill. So far, slash line 202, 276, 333. Two home runs, three steals, and 98 player appearances. Did hit a home run today, which was nice to see. The reason why I'm buying low, you know, the, we know the power. Like, we've seen this guy. He's one of the most jacked human beings you'll ever see. Raw power right up there with right up near Stanton and Judge. Maybe not quite there, but not too far off. Like, we know the power is there. And he's shown the sprint speed is still there. That power speed, that's not going away. But what is 
the reason why I want to buy low right now is that a lot of his like plate approach metrics have improved this year, believe it or not. He's dropped the K rate around six and a half percent on the 24.7 percent. Walk rate has gone up from seven one to nine point seven percent. He's whiffing less, he's chasing less. The uh, chase contact rate is actually up. First pitch swing is down eight percent, so he's being more patient. So those are all things that are very, very encouraging. Will they stick? I don't know, but certainly encouraging. The power will get there. The speed's still there. So yeah, one hundred percent buy low on Tyler O'Neill. Are you there with me, Chris? Yeah, and he's one where the low BABIP actually signifies something. Now O'Neill consistently runs high BABIPs because high line drive rate quick sprint speed and the ability to hit the ball hard and he's still doing all that but he's got 233 babbit this year so that easily comes up obviously home runs kind of come with it not much has changed you know he's still the, the line drive rates down a hair you know, one and a half percent's not that noticeable his home run to fly ball rate of 4.3 percent is not who Tyler O'Neill is so you mentioned the contact metrics improving like that's been a huge ordeal for him He'll be fine. I'm genuinely not concerned about him. Yeah, neither am I. This next guy, I am, though, and that's Framel Reyes. He'll run the show with the big guy from Cleveland. So far this year, two home runs and 87 plate appearances, 157, 195, 229 slash line here. Chris, are you seeing anything that makes you want to buy low on him right now? Not in particular, but uh, (laughs) I did pick him up in Tout Wars last week after he was dropped, and yeah, I'm kind of. I was like, ah, oh, he'll be fine. But now I'm kind of wondering. I don't know. He's still hitting the ball hard. Worth a yeah. shot, you know. Yeah, I mean, Who, who'd you drop for him? Nobody significant. I don't even yes. remember. So it wasn't. Yeah, see, it's worth to see if he can bounce back for sure. Yeah. So the K rate definitely concerning. The walk rate concerning. Still hitting the ball hard. Ah, man, I don't know. It's it's just definitely been a rough go. Maybe we see it come back to life. But right now, there's not much giving me hope other than the fact that we've seen him do it before. Like, that's why I picked him up because, like, we know what he's capable of. And I think that he's capable of being a 250 hitter with 30 plus home runs. And, you know, I find some value in that. But right now, not looking so pretty. Yeah, not with a 46.3% strikeout rate and a 3.7% walk rate. Yeah, like the quality of content metrics are still pretty solid. His exit velo is in the top 10% of baseball. BR rates 12.2%, hard hit rate 43.9. You know, those last two are, are down a bit from last year, but you know, still obviously above average metrics. But that K rate just skyrocketing. Obviously, the whiff rate up to 41.8%. He's still handling fast, you know, only a 28% whiff rate on fastballs, but 65% whiff rate on breaking balls. 43% whiff rate on off speed. He hasn't doesn't have any hits of off speed pitches so far this year. And they're the they're just throwing them nothing but breaking balls and off speed right now. That's up to a 47% uh combined usage against him. So they know he's having a hard time against those pitches and they're attacking him with it. I still think there's a I don't know. That K rate is so alarming right now. I, I keep looking at that 46.3% K rate and it's just sticks out like a sore thumb, but I think he's still hitting the ball hard. Maybe he's only 230 this year, but I still I still think he, he gets the 30 home runs. I don't think he's one of those guys that's going to be hurt too much by the new ball, which could be different next week. Who knows? But he's obviously got that big raw power. Always always has a high barrel rate, high exit below, stuff like that. So 
not too worried. I, say, I am worried about the obviously the, the approach stuff, but I think he'll bounce back 230, 30 home runs. If that's what you need, fine. Is he much different than Miguel Sano or a healthy Miguel Sano moving forward? Probably not. Higher upside, obviously, but yeah. So buy low, sure, but again, not, not a guy that I'm looking to run out there and get. Like you said, you got him in tell ors. If you get if you can if he's dropped in your league, definitely worth a shot. 12 teamers, maybe not in tens. But 12, 14, or deeper, absolutely just to see if he can't turn it around what he's shown you know, over the last couple of years, especially in that power department. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would still buy low on Framel Reyes for sure. Not as much as Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill, I think, is the biggest buy low hitter for me on this list. But that is going to wrap us up here. Thank you to everyone for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter, Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm at Eric Cross04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ fantasy pros or over on our patreon and join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk but until then everyone take care